You are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora, ladies and gentlemen. Respect that fact every second of every day. If there is a hell, you might want to go there for some R&R &R after a tour on Pandora. You've got to obey the rules. Pandora rules. Hey everyone, welcome again to Pandora's Box. Today's episode is going to be audio only. We couldn't record the uh, the visuals for a couple of reasons. Um, I won't bore you with the details, but we will be back next week in full visual glory. Um, but we've got an episode for you, as always. Uh, this week's episode um, will be with Mein Vater, as the Germans would say, um, Paul Waite. Uh, it's the 30th anniversary of the company he founded when I was a wee lad, um, Aspen Waite, obviously. Uh, the pod Pandora's box goes out on Aspen Weight Radio. My old man founded Aspen Weight uh, as a business, as a company, thirty years ago. It's a big achievement to um, f to have a business that reaches its thirtieth year. Um, apparently, only about two percent of businesses ever make it to their thirtieth year. So, a, a massive accomplishment for my father. Uh, so he's our guest this week. He'll be talking. Um, but the whole sort of history of the company, why he sort of started the company, his emotions at the time, um, trials and tribulations over the years, any uh, sort of notable landmarks. And um, if the interview sounds a little bit weird, um, the reason is, is because we originally recorded the interview for uh, his breakfast show that's on Aspen Weight Radio. Um, so it was going out on his breakfast show, but we thought it'd be cool to put it out as a pod as well. Um, so for all you budding entrepreneurs out there, this is going to be an episode for you. Um, my old man's an eccentric fella um, with an impressive story to tell. Um, certainly a, a, a never-say-die attitude, which is one of the attributes that I respect the most about him. Um, an interesting character, but as I said, massive accomplishment um, to reach 30th year of business. So this is the story of Aspen Way um, and, you know, a, a massive part of the story of my old man. So um, hope you enjoy this one, folks. Um, and we love you. Enjoy the episode. Pandora's box is about to open wide. Good morning, everybody. It is Sunday morning. Hope that you are having a, a lovely time waking up lovely. in the world. Um, you're probably thinking, that doesn't quite sound like Paul Waite. No. Well, not at all, actually. It's me. It's Callum Waite. Mm -hmm. um, the reason why I am sort of guest hosting the show today with my beloved farter is because <laughs> I'm going to be interviewing him. It is the thirtieth, the thirtieth anniversary of Aspen Wait. Can you believe it? Yeah, oh, I can. Yeah, yeah. So, by backfills. Yeah. Yeah. So the exact <laughs> date is the yeah. is the thirteenth of August. I th I believe I'm right in saying the thirteenth of August is when you actually officially started. Yes, Callum Joseph. Stop looking at me with those eyes. I can't stand it. Mm. It's putting me off. I look at you with something else. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I'm not your wife. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> It'd give me a big hmm. problem, it would. I'm just trying to sort of come to terms with that, what we just said. Um, yeah, the 13th of August, back in 1993. Wow. A young Paul Waite, about the same age as me and Drew so far right now, started Aspen Waite. In fact, the exact same age, obviously. I'm 33 now. And you started it when I was three. Yeah. So isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? That's, that's a good the, I like that. The exact oh, yeah. same age that me and Drew are now, my old man... <laughs> Started Aspen, wait, I remember started it in a Aspen court, you, you but, rented But there was a big difference then. Mm. I liked you then. Yeah, you did, yeah. Well, naturally, <laughs> lot, I th actually. Yeah, I mean, one thing I'm quite sad about as like a dad is I think, what if I don't like Evie so much one day, you know? 
Mm. Oh, don't be like that. That's so horrible. <laughs> no, I mean, no. It's just no, turned a little joke into something. No, I'm, just, I'm joking too. But it I'm, was for a very high point, obviously. Um, Let's <laughs> <laughs> be clear on this. You were like little Paul at the time, weren't you? It's like, you know, it's like... A happy young lad. I always, I always remember uh, people uh, driving down um, Broadway in, in Bridgewater and... Uh, this guy that worked at Aspen Design, he's, he, he he came over and he, he basically pointed at Callum and he went, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, you two would look the same. He was yeah, like yeah. scary as whatever, mm. you know. The more I evolved my own personality. <laughs> and now, um, the more, the just more plugging, I... plugging Callum, I watched um, Pandora's Box this week uh, when you were talking to... Um, what, Hamilton Souther? Hamilton Souther. And um, I, 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 I sat there thinking, no one... Uh, no one Interviews like you do. It's a very mm. um, idiosyncratic. Mm. Interesting. Yes. No, it is, it's interesting. I think it went really well. I thought what was very... So those of you people who haven't listened to Pandora's Box, you make sure that you do. Thanks, sir. And uh, one of the things I also thought about listening to Hamilton so the talking to Callum was um, the the amount of respect he showed you. Mm. What, what often happens when you have a... You know, obviously, I like to think I'm a good interviewer myself, mm. is... Uh, you, you were, you're you're quite good at talking, shall we say? Of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, you talk for about three hours, and he mm. still and he actually listened to you finish, and then he would talk. Mm. You know, there's a lot of people have a propensity to interrupt, but he didn't do that to you. So anyway, it's about me today, not about Hamilton <laughs> Souther. Yeah. So I thought you know because we could go into all like the the nitty gritty business jargon, but I don't really think anybody cares about that. What I think people want to care about is the story. So I think it'd be interesting <laughs> to get this sort of inside your head more. So. Going back, I said the thirtieth anniversary of any business is a major achievement. I remember on the twenty fifth anniversary, um, I remember wasn't there a statistic that was like seventy angels instead? Oh yeah, yeah. He did a he did a he sang that up in front of of everyone. And and on the thirtieth, he'll be doing a duet with me of the man who sold the world, of course, by David Bowie. Mm. Oh no, not me. That was space and that was showing a bit of knowledge there. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously I know the track. Not me. Obviously helped. Obviously made made famous by David Bowie, but made even more famous. I am Paul Waits. You're face to face with the man who sold the world. Exactly. Exactly. Or the man who tried to conquer the world and maybe nearly got up the mountain, then he fell off a bit and then tried to get. That's me, by the way. Went another mile. That's inside my head, Joseph. But getting back to my original, sorry, the point I was trying to make wasn't there a statistic at the 25th anniversary? What was it? Was it seventy percent of businesses don't reach their third year? Was it something like that? It's not. It's a general statistic. So yeah, yes, I think something like twenty to thirty percent of businesses succeed for three years. Yeah. All the others fail. It'd be interesting mm. to know exactly how many businesses make it to a 30th anniversary, but regardless Ooh, of what that statistic yeah, is, it's a many, major many. Maybe achievement. Maybe 2%, I would think, I yeah. don't know, if I was guessing. So you're in the, you're yeah. in the top 2%, sir. <laughs> but um, let's, let's go back to when you are, you know, say, my injuries age, slightly younger. <laughs> I mean, I sort of uh, obviously know a lot more than the listeners, but let's pretend, obviously, that I don't let's know anything. hope so. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, pay attention, Joseph. For goodness I mean, sake. I, there's a, it varies how much I pay attention to what you say. But. <laughs> one of the things, one of the things, people, if you're listening, and those of you particularly who listen to Callum shows, which are probably the best shows on Asperwick Radio, other than me, of course. Oh, I um, he, I, I, to this, if you if you knew Callum now, his timekeeping is is unique. <laughs> um, 
but when he was a child, he did actually do what I said. Uh, it was quite remarkable. So uh, if I said, right, guys, we're going in the car at 8 o'clock, Callum would be in the car at 30 seconds to 8. Not least because he worked out, if he sat in the front, he got to listen to his own music. Mm. Yeah, Sam was an idiot, wasn't he? Sam, who was always late and used to get shouted at by me every day, yeah. never got to listen to his music, and I refused to let him. I think that was quite a good rule, because all that did, that shows, that builds incentive, doesn't it? It's a very simple rule. It's like, look, you, you are both equal, so whoever is first to the car gets the right of sitting in the front seat and, as a result, yeah. playing some of your music. But Sam was like, not even one in ten, uh, in ten times, I would say. <laughs> I'd say probably never. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's like so funny. I'd rather be late. But he'd just be like really annoyed in the back seat. But, you know, my mum would be like, well, you know the rules. But yeah, sorry, so to, to go back to sort of 33 years, um, pretending I don't know anything. Um, 30 years, yeah. Yeah, sorry, 30, 30 years. Um, so, you know, you, you were between jobs. Um to, to tell us about what was going on in your head and your motivations for starting your own company. Obviously, a daunting task, isn't it? Starting your own company from scratch. I think that's why so many people don't do it. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite, it's quite a difficult thing to talk about, really. I can't really tell the truth because, uh, for, for various reasons. Tell a savvy um, truth. Well, no, I'll, 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 um, so I was a partner in a firm of accountants, and basically um, uh, I became very successful very quickly. I was supposed to be the junior partner, but I was the one who did all the work. Started to get a bit resentful. The senior partner, who started out as a father figure, um, started to get resentful of me. Partner meetings became incredibly stressful to the point I got an ulcer. And um, what was ironic, uh, I've got to be careful what I say here, is one of the other partners, who was actually the big problem, he used to talk about plotting about leaving <laughs> all the time. Um, which he eventually did, which is even more ironic. Uh, I got um, very heavily involved in a company called Environmental Polymers, which was a biodegradable polymer company. And effectively, the senior partner didn't like it. And he sort of basically stitched me up and um, sort of almost sort of tried to blackmail me into being a good boy and staying. And I, sh- uh, <laughs> I have to say, the other partners, I remember one of them walked out to me and said, wow, you've got some balls. Gumption, yeah. Because mm. uh, mm. I basically sat in this room. Obviously, I was I didn't know I was called into this meeting. I didn't know what it was going to be about. And I remember I looked at him and I said, "I don't want to work with people that talk to me like that." Mm. That's what I said. Mm-hmm. I refuse to work with people that talk to me like that. Mm-hmm. And they were quite shocked. So mm. basically, uh, I said, "No, I'm going to leave." Mm-hmm. I went home and nearly had a nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. So it was just true. Mm-hmm. I was shaking like whatever you know in in, in my bed. Well, I guess it's a massive thing because, I mean, suddenly you went from having, like, a really good job to almost, like... What am I going to do? On, on almost a whim, on a passionate whim, I guess. Yeah, one of the things, you know, f- so those of you listening, I've written three books which try to um, capture those thoughts. Um, most people in my position wouldn't admit, you know, to, to other people that they show weakness, you know, that they... So the fact is... Uh, uh, I would say, one of the things, I wrote about this the other day. Uh, my father, who's still alive and is a great man, um, he, in fact, he sent it to me last Sunday. He says, hey, lads, I don't know whether you're the bravest or stupidest man that ever lived. Mm-hmm. It's um, a common description of you, yeah. Um, <laughs> one, so one thing I can tell you is if I was hit by somebody 500 times, I would get up 500 times. Mm-hmm. And that's a fact. You, mm-hmm. you know, that's you know, true. Um and when it comes to the here and now, so, you know, when I had to deal with these people, I had two, obviously one meeting, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I got, you know, it was like, well, 
And then obviously there was a meeting a week later where obviously, you know, I knew that the nuclear button had been fired at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wouldn't find a braver, more articulate person, I'm not, you know. So in the meeting, I'm like magnificent, you mm-hmm. know, like as strong as you'd be. Uh, and then it takes its toll afterwards. You go home and you collapse, but only you see that. You see mm-hmm. what I mean? So you're in front of the enemy. Mm-hmm. So me, I said, no, I can't work with you. I'm going to set up on my own. So that's why Aspen Wake started. Never actually talked about that live before. So as it's you, I'm telling you. Uh, 30 years have gone by, so there we are. And um, effectively, what happened is is the my so-called partners uh, basically took my customer list and they divided it into three mm-hmm. so there was a b and c customers a customers were mine c customers they basically said they wanted to keep mm-hmm. and b customers we fought over mm-hmm. that's basically what happened okay uh, probably the most significant customer in the second group was a company called ford ford civil engineering who uh, were a company bob ford who callum knows because callum actually cycled with bob um when we did our famous bike ride, mm-hmm. uh, Bob Ford is a man of Western Supermare. So originally, Ford's was fate, but was was formed in in Western Supermare. Uh, but by the time that I acted for them, they'd moved to Ringwood, which is on the Dorset Hampshire border. I think they were turning over about five or six million at the time, and uh, and effectively, uh, my partners decided that I couldn't possibly. Obviously, it was my client, so mm-hmm. they couldn't sort of put them into the C category. Mm-hmm. But so. Uh, the senior partner phoned up the directors of this company and he basically trashed me and said that they were too big. They couldn't possibly, you know, mm-hmm. I couldn't possibly look after them because mm-hmm. I was just on my own. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll never forget this. And I've written about it in the, the magazine. Mm-hmm. A lady called Linda Porter, who was the financial director, she turned around to the chap and she said, we're staying with Paul. He's too good to be on his own for long. Oh, That's what oh, she nice. said to him. Nice. And... Nice. Uh, so what a good woman mm. yeah yeah a lady called linda porter so if uh linda porter uh who's bob ford's sister props to you very linda. very and her husband was originally tim porter who's my longest standing client i've acted for tim porter for 33 years wow. still mm-hmm. going wow. uh tim and linda are no longer an item but uh just to show the history there mm. uh and so what happened is i ended up with uh i think it was thirty-eight thousand pounds of clients mm-hmm. out of this process Mm. Um, I don't know. Where, I, 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 I don't think they. I don't think we can get into legal trouble after thirty years. One of the things that, that also comes with courage is, um, and I think I'm res, as resourceful, resourceful, resilient, and creative as any man. Mm-hmm. And so, even though I was traumatized, which was, I managed to use my very large brain against them. Uh, I had a number of clients that were mine, and they didn't know anything about. So nice, I nice. managed to manipulate the data to um, to minimise, if you understand Any me. damage done to you? No, no not the damage. Because um, basically what we decided was, is, is, so, uh, you know, I, I I had so much in the company, so I was I was owed so much. And so what happened was, uh, effectively, I you know, so let's say I had £150,000 of assets or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so if they decided that one of my clients was worth five grand, that was taken off my hundred and fifty grand. Right. So what I did is I basically made everything smaller than it was. Mm-hmm. But they didn't know any better. So I ended up probably with clients that might have ended up paying me two and a half grand a month that I paid nothing for. 
sort of thing, you know. Well, nice. I suppose sold you or something. Yeah, mate. So, mm-hmm. hey, for those of you listening, you can shove it right up or whatever. Sorry, I just, <laughs> just, 30, 30 years we're waiting to say that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, started off... Um, I think we ought to play some music in a minute, Callum. In the yeah, just, we, just finish, we, just we'll finish, finish chapter one. I'll just finish yeah. this this bit because this is cathartic. Yeah. So I did a business plan, um, and a friend of mine did it. I remember it was quite queer. It was, it was actually uh, on a sort of a beige yellow sort of paper. I did a business mm. plan, and um, so I had I guaranteed sales. Uh, if you assume anything's guaranteed, a thirty-eight thousand pounds. Uh, did did a business plan, budgets, cash flow forecast, and profit forecast. Because uh, I'm very anal, I, I I actually sat in the garden. I remember it with all my clients religiously s- putting them into different months mm-hmm. <laughs> and all this, you know. And I sent um, I sent the business plan off to my bank manager, who's a wonderful man called David Orrington, without whom maybe I wouldn't be here because he was so important to me. Very dour Scotsman, but a lovely man. And I think he, he in his own way, as much as he could, he loved me. And um, I sent him the business plan, and he sent it back to me, and he said. Uh, do it again. I said, why is that? And he said, you're not going to turn over 38 grand. And I said, but why not? And he said, because you're not, because you're going to pick up loads of customers. Nah. <laughs> I said, well, I'm, not very, I'm not very comfortable about that. So he said, you've got to do it again. So one thing I'll tell you now, I'm as good at budgeting as anybody. And it's probably the greatest secret as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a budgeter is to, is to actually say, well, I'm doing 100 now, but mm-hmm. you, you know, I'm going to do 21 extra or I'm going to do whatever. And obviously, you know, one of the things is a bit of, of, of advice. If you're a business owner and you believe you're going to double, if you don't double your workforce, you're never going to double. Mm-hmm. So you have to have the courage to say, I don't care what anyone else says, I've got 10 workers now and I need to require another 10 people or else I won't be able to meet my budget. You see what yeah, I mean? sure, sure. So it's quite an interesting story. This. I sent the business plan off to Barclays Bank and also to, um, I think it was it was other Lloyds on that West. Lloyds, I think it was, because I, I, I actually did technically bank with Lloyds much longer. And... Uh, Barclays Bank had lent me the money before Lloyd's even read the plan. Wow. Remember that? So Barclays gave me the money, uh, had forecast turnover, I think, of 45,000, and I turned over 78,334. Wow. Nice. Nice. So there we are. So that's That's a positive way to finish chapter one, I think. So Mm. if if you tuned in sort of in the last 10 minutes or so, um, it is the 30th anniversary of Aspen Weight, and we are listening to the story of the man who normally host this show, Mr. Paul Witt, who obviously founded the business. Um, we're listening to his story the about the creation of Aspen Waite. Welcome back, how it folks. Came I'm about, your guest host today, Callum Waite. But fear not, your regular host, Paul Waite, is here with us. Woo-hoo. Je suis ici, monsieur. We are listening to the story of Aspen Waite. Obviously, this is Aspen Waite Radio. We're listening to the story. It's the 30th anniversary of Aspen Waite being founded. So we are asking for the story from the man himself that created the company, of course, Mr. Paul Waite. So this is chapter two. Thank you, mate. Of Aspen Wait. Did you, um, Drew? Did you want to start off with your question? Well, you were just talking about uh, the, the bank speaking to the bank, Barclays and Lloyd's, and you say Barclays lent you the money. I was just wondering how much you would need to for, for your. You had your forecast of thirty-eight thousand that you thought you were going to make. How much did you need to get from the bank to start the business? Uh, so my erstwhile business partners was one of the reasons why I had to fight back to some extent, stitch me up. Mm. I'm not going to go into the air. So mm. it was a totally stitched me up. Uh, disgusting, actually. I hope that these people can go to sleep at night mm. beyond me. Yeah, so I basically um, needed £70,000. Oh, wow. So I, did, okay. I borrowed £70,000 from the government at the time. So you couldn't do it today. Mm. If I if I 
if I was in the situation I am in 2023, it wouldn't have been possible. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was what, something called the, the government small firms guarantee scheme. Mm. Uh, the government underwrote 85% of the debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the bank only got to lose 15%, worst case. And um, applied for £70,000. I think it took two weeks for it to be accepted with wow. my plan. Uh, but I just want to tell, I just said to Callum, I remember it's a story I've got to tell. I sat in front of the bank manager, David Orrington, in his office, which was then in Western Supermare in Regents, mm. Regents Street. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were talking about, because he also banked the practice mm. of, of the scumbags. Uh, so uh, we were talking through options, and I said, I'm doing And he looked at me and he said, Well, there is another alternative. <laughs> well, it's not, he said, I can make you bankrupt. Mm. And I, I, I never forget this, some of the things I never forget. My stomach came out, and mm. I, it's like it hit the floor and banked mm. up again. Mm. And I looked at him, and I was like, you know, thinking, oh, F. Mm. And then he said, but I'm not going to do that sort of thing. Well, I think it's a bit unkind, actually. Yeah, I was going to say, that was a bit, like, nasty. Like, if he wasn't even going to do it, like, was it just to scare yeah. you? Or? Yeah, so anyway, so that's just to show the reality. It's why, you know, one of the things that really pees me off is um, I'm sort of now considered to be, like, the epitome of an entrepreneur, which I probably am, actually, probably the most honest entrepreneur. And everyone sits there and thinks it's so exciting and wonderful, and it isn't. Mm. Um, you know, again, work. if you have, we'll, 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 we've written a fantastic, we've produced a fantastic magazine for the 30th birthday, and I've tried to. There's things in there. There's testimonials from some great people talking about me as a person. That's and, on the website, isn't it? If people want to read it, if am I right in thinking? Yeah, that? but we, we can we can arrange. If anybody wants something, we can get it to them. Yeah, if anybody wants a brochure, let us know. But it will be on the website as well. You know, um, the words. If you said to me when I trotted up at Aspen House, which is where that's I the was, first bit, that's first building, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah Aspen House, which is why we're, I'm called Aspen Wait. Yeah, uh, the the word the word that would come to mind would be scared. Mm, mm. I can remember the first day because mm-hmm. at that point I didn't have the customer base confirmed even. Mm-hmm. So I don't think Ford's, for instance, had were a confirmed customer. Mm-hmm. So the first few days I was actually having to scrap for my life. Mm-hmm. For instance, you know, so it was. It was just you know, I'm like a bit of a control freak, so it was. It's not really nice. So, so was that, there, was that like calling up different different mm, customers and, mm, and yeah. saying, "Yeah, you stay with me and all mm. that," you know. And it was. It was. It was. Yeah, it was. It was far more scary than it was exciting. I, I think for people, people say to me, "Oh, it must be so exciting." Well, it isn't at all. It's just absolute rubbish. I think at the time as well, obviously, like you know, you you, you had a mortgage, didn't you? And you obviously me and my brother were already born and things like that so the two two kids a wife a lot of responsibilities mortgage. to suddenly be doing this it's quite um you know jumping in the deep end yeah although it's an interesting one this and it's funny I've, one of the things i've really enjoyed recently is i i get to talk to callum and emily emily who's emily is callum's partner um at, at, at every saturday some like we have some really good discussions mm-hmm. and it's quite nice to sort of actually be able to say Things I, I think that I don't normally get a chance to, to talk to you about, and and one of the things I don't know, you know, some people would say this is a bad thing, but one of the things you get with me is uh, I have a immense sense of responsibility. Mm-hmm. So it's like I've got to look after even even maybe Drew. Mm-hmm. So I see Drew like my nephew or something, mm-hmm. whether I should or I shouldn't. You know, <laughs> I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, like the Armstrongs are like uh, almost like my extended family. You yeah, know? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I'm the sort of person I feel I need to look after my family for sure, man. So 
the thing I remember, you know, and this is this is something that hopefully will inspire some of you. The the thing the the by far when I people say to me what was your single biggest motivation, and it was I didn't want Sam and Callum to go to school and be ashamed of me or not be able to look after them. Oh. So it was like it doesn't it didn't matter what happened to me. Yeah, whatever happened to me was inconsequential. Uh, I I had to find the courage yeah. to get up in the morning. So that, and of course, I don't. Sorry, I've no. It I'm wouldn't not, have happened anyway, Dad. I'm not. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not being a very good interviewee here because I'm, I'm jumping over a bit. But I, I think it's important to say this to people. And funny enough, I drove past it the other day, uh, because of the, the experience I had uh, with my previous practice, and I won't say where it was. It was in a small town in Somerset, and I was traumatized, and I, I found, I didn't want to. Obviously, I didn't want to go anywhere near it. Mm-hmm. Uh, young Callum decides that there's this shop in this town mm-hmm. that he wants me to take him to on Saturday morning. <laughs> so what did I do? Yeah, yeah. I took you to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What uh, was this shop? Um, it was this really <laughs> cool little shop in this little avenue in the town. Um, and it was this this guy who used to run it. And I remember he had like a curly mullet. <laughs> and um, he, he basically, it had like the best freaking toys and Pokemon cards like in Somerset. Man. Oh, wow. Oh, and cool. this was like when Pokemon first came out, like anybody that's around yeah, the age of 30 shinies. knows that like Pokemon sort of took her over the world. I don't think anybody in our age range wasn't into Pokemon at the time. Um, and yeah, it was like the best place to go for Pokemon cards. But they also had like mad like Spider-Man toys and Star Wars <laughs> toys. So for me... It was like the best shop ever. It yeah. had like everything I wanted in. Um, and there was no other shop like it because obviously it wasn't like a chain or anything like that. It was, you know, you had to go there. And yeah, my old man would take that. And I, I even remember you even saying like, obviously, you know, very honest of you to talk to your young son about this because I was still in single digits at the time. Mm. But you would openly say to me, like, oh, like I'm not, you know, I'm not particularly enjoying like the drive here and stuff like that. But I think the more we did it, the more you became okay with it, didn't you? And yeah, no, it got to, no, it got, I, can't, I don't know how long it took. Not long. But the, the, the message to people, and I know one of the, one of the things I'm very proud about is uh, I, I would actually say that Callum Joseph is possibly the best father I've ever seen in my life. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, no, yeah so, a massive compliment. No, no, and I'm saying that for a reason, because um, I think I, I, I could compete with that on a certain level, mm-hmm. um, one of them being, um, and I could tell you a story about a dog and Sam as well, so, so effectively, <laughs> poor dog. <laughs> yeah. well, there's, a, there's a joke there, isn't there? So, so the message to people is is that my love of my son was greater than my fear. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what happened is he he helped me conquer my fear, mm-hmm. and now I love the town. Mm. The town that we're talking about mm. is one of my favourite places. I go there all the time voluntarily. Um, Anyway, so... Facing your fears. It's a very Tolkien-esque message, this, isn't it? You know? Basically, you know, if you have your trust in your loved ones and and have the bravery and are committed to your loved ones, that ultimately you will win the day, so to speak. You You will overcome your fears. You will prevail. You will overcome your fears. All of this stuff. That's very, like, basically what the message of Lord of the Rings is, for example. I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah, Mm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gonna say. Of course, Lord of the Rings, as people don't know, is all about the First World War and uh, mm. his experiences in the trenches, and so the Yorks and the Germans, for instance. Mm-hmm. I think the elves are the Welsh, I think, maybe, or the um, languages or something um, like yes, that. Yes, the, the language was based on sort of like a <laughs> mixture between Welsh and Scandinavian, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, no, you're right, and I think like, the English people are supposed to be like hobbits, yeah, yeah, <laughs> for example, yeah. But, yeah, it's just, because I remember, it's, when we used to go to this shop, it's not like you used to like even like stand in there with me and walk outside. I remember you'd go for like a little walk like up around the mm. around the town 
while I would be in the shop and you sort of like potter off for like 10, 15 minutes and then come back. So I said, I think you actually, after a while, I remember you actually would almost like enjoy it. I remember you'd enjoy going for like the little walk. Maybe. Yeah. I think I remember like, you know, at least a couple of times you would sort of... No, I remember the drive and where it was yeah. and dropping you off and all that yeah, sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Good stuff. So um, where are we? So you've just started the company. You're ringing up all these clients or, or at least, you know, people that you want to still be clients. Trying to almost like being like a salesman, I suppose. And you said, you know, you look back on that because um, it wasn't a particularly nice time. You, you know, you, you brings you back, obviously, like the nerves of the time and stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, take us take us from there. Take us from there. So, you know, can you remember um, what were your sort of thoughts as the weeks and then the months progressed? Um, when did you get your first employee? Obviously, at first you were just a one man team. Um, how did this all progress? And also, what were your thoughts as it was progressing? You know, because I think what people you know what really resonates with people is like the emotions that are going on inside. Was it just the first few days that were really hard, or did it get e like you know? Well, I started on August the thirteenth, and I didn't get any money at all until October the twentieth. Wow! Two months and seven days with mm -hmm. no money. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember. It's funny, you know. It's, it's the sort of thing you remember till you die. I remember a, le a lovely lady called Sandra Marriott who now works in the card shop over in the complex by Marks and Spencer's mm -hmm. thing. I saw her the other day, funnily enough. And uh, I used to, one of my clients was called Catering Management Services Central. Mm -hmm. You went to Bosworth Battlefield and had a restaurant meal there with Tony Ward-Lewis, who's possibly the greatest food aficionado of anyone I met. Mm -hmm. Very loyal to me. And she gave me a check for £800. That was my first ever check mm. from a client. My first ever new client, as I said, I'll never forget, I'll never forget this, uh, my first ever new client was a company called Comscribe, owned by a guy called Darren Hayes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember meeting him in the Aspen Group boardroom and agreeing a fee. Again, funnily enough, I think it was £840 a year. That was my first ever client. How did um, you get that first client that was... Uh... Well, it's quite remarkable. And I say, if you, if you, it, I've tried to, tried to capture the, the, first, you know, the, the first memories and, and experiences in, in our magazine. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, you know, I look back on myself with some degree of massive respect. Mm -hmm. uh, when you consider um, I was m no doubt, you know, massively traumatized, like massively mm -hmm. traumatized. To have a situation where you're doing a great job, you know, you are, you've gone from being, so I was never given anything and I became mm -hmm. the highest billing partner from nothing. Mm -hmm. And then those people basically do that to you and you've got to start and, and, and the fact is they wanted me they wanted to bury me yeah, yeah. and that didn't mean just me it meant you yeah yeah, of yeah? Course, they, yeah, they yeah. were they were prepared to do that collateral damage and it's it's not nice you know oh okay um, i mean that's an understatement isn't it yeah wicked know, isn't it wicked and so you know when i look back on it and i think what i was able to do despite that so what was that so, so within days i come up with a great name aspen weight and i remember as as it, you know, in the first week, and I, I sat there and I thought, I've got to come up with a name that's going to last for 100 years and people will think is a serious name. Mm -hmm. You know, that if I was a huge company, I wouldn't be put off by that. Mm -hmm. So, And I think Aspen Weight is a brilliant name. Mm -hmm. I decided that I'd always love purple. Now I was in charge, I could do what I wanted. So I wanted purple to be my colour. Mm -hmm. I did a very sensible thing. I... Through a friend, I met a marketing consultant from Bath. I paid him four hundred and fifty pounds, which I didn't really have. If you think, you know, yeah, 
Um, and he came up with some designs for me, different colours as well. Mm. And so uh, there's no doubt that Aspen Weight, as a startup company, probably had the best branding of any accountancy practice in Somerset. Very nice. I remember, and, obviously, the original branding. Very, and I think very I'm nice. very proud of myself for actually having the gumption and yeah. whatever to do that. It's very classy, I remember. Very classy. Yeah, so um, it was... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult. I mean, like, I'm trying to think through how to answer your question. Uh, as I say, it was it was it was very traumatic. I'm trying to think at what point, what point did I actually? Well, the honest truth is, um, so it's, you know, I, don't, I don't mind admitting this. I think because I didn't trust the people that I'd been in business with, and I'm a bit of a worrier. Um, I don't know if you remember, we went on a wonderful holiday to Corfu where you and I used to go canoeing every day. Mm. And there was that mad German woman that nicked our table one day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't yeah, forget yeah, that story. Yeah. So uh, funny, yeah. And I can remember going on that holiday, and this is something you wouldn't know. So all the time when you sat there thinking I was being nice to you ever, mm. uh, 10% of my brain was thinking about bad things mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. every day. Yeah, sure. Day in, day out, every day. Um, and I kept expecting, that was ridiculous, I kept expecting these people to send me another nuclear warhead. Mm-hmm. And so it slightly took that. So I basically almost had like a taking each day as it came mm. and just do the best I could, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and I didn't really, I didn't really sort of feel um, overly relaxed um, about that. It, 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 it's quite interesting. There was a point, I can't remember how many years after, is that the person who, you know, who I used to almost love, who who did this, the, the senior partner, he did actually phone me up. And of course, he was then, oh, I always thought a lot of you, all this stuff, and I mm. thought, and I put the phone up, made me feel good, and I thought, you're tormented. Mm. Mm. You know, I can go to bed at night, you can't, because you know what you did to me. You know? Yeah, yeah. That was that was quite that was quite interesting. And um, without, you know, we was we have obviously haven't got ten hours, and yeah, and, sure. and, and people probably you know, would rather listen to music than me talking, but. Uh, the the happy moment I can remember uh, getting my first year's accounts. Mm. This was a really big moment. Uh, so bearing in mind that you know I'd pl- I thought I was going to turn over about forty five grand. Probably didn't think I was going to do that. If I'm being mm-hmm. honest, uh, I had I'm trying to think. Well, I used to do about two hundred and fifty thousand mm-hmm. uh, pounds on my on my own, but obviously I wasn't allowed to take the big customers. I wasn't allowed to take so. Uh, bearing in mind, so I, I used to have a client base of two hundred and fifty thousand pounds, and I was allowed to keep thirty eight. Mm. I think the most money I ever got in my previous practice, because obviously you know it was it was very feudal, mm. you know, very uh, the senior partner was a despot, you know, sort of you know be lucky to get where you are. Complete opposite of me, and and, and that's I was saying to uh, my great friend Glenn Ford this morning in a meeting because he's he's feeling a bit down, and I said my life is a test. Mm-hmm. I feel my I've been put on this planet, and my whole life is a is a test mm-hmm. of being given various tests to overcome to see if I'm worthy mm. to move on to the next stage in mm-hmm. whatever you you know because you and I have similar beliefs, mm-hmm. you know. Um, uh, no, sorry, uh, yeah. So in, in, I think in the in the previous practice, I think the most I think I'm right in this. I think the most I ever got was thirty eight grand mm-hmm. okay. net profit. I think that's right. Um, and we came to the end of the first year, and the turnover was seventy eight thousand four hundred and forty five, and the net profit was something like fifty four thousand. Mm. There you go. And I remember sitting there. And, <laughs> ah, nice. I've actually, and I've just actually sort of thinking, um, 
and this is this is you know hopefully some of some of you people listening today will be inspired by this so in effect i had been spending years making this unworthy person richer than he needed to be because he was already rich mm-hmm. um wasn't giving very much to me and even on a fraction of what i was doing i still managed to make more than what he gave me yep mm. uh Again, you know, um, in terms of being honest, I think the the most the thing I used to think the most actually in the early years was that clearly, you know, I grew quite quickly, mm. but I wasn't I wasn't ex- feeling um, I wasn't feeling that in my bank balance, mm-hmm. and, and my overriding feeling was that all I was doing was creating jobs. Mm. So I was creating jobs for other people, but I wasn't actually making any more money. Right, that, okay. that would that would be that would be my overriding mm. thought. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, Treat, do you want to leave it there as chapter two for now? Mm. So we'll listen to some more music, folks. But um, stick around. As I said, if you just have a, if you've just tuned in, we're listening to the story of of Paul Waite and Aspen Waite. It's the thirtieth anniversary, so celebrate with us this morning on the Sunday Aspen Waite Radio Breakfast Show. Oh, yeah. You actually are on on a deeper level listening to Outstanding Paul today because we are listening to the story of Paul Waite, the story of Aspen Waite Radio. I'm your guest host this morning on the Aspen Waite Radio Breakfast Show because it's the 30th anniversary of Aspen Waite. (laughs) And we're listening to all about, you might be thinking, well, I listen to this show all the time, but what exactly is Aspen Waite? How did it start? No one else knows. Look no further because you are finding all out about it today. And remember, if you uh, have missed the beginning of the show, um, at the end of the show, once it's finished, you can listen back from the beginning on the Aspen Waite Radio app or on dot. Is it code.uk or dot com? Dot com. Dot com. Nice. So, chapter three of the story of Aspen Waite Radio. Um, I mean, just saying. Um, oh, yeah. So, you were saying about how your first year, um, your net profit was something like 54000 And that the most you ever made was thirty-eight in your previous job. Um, it, from 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 my point of view, obviously um, not a very in depth point of view because I was a very small small child mm. at the time. But from my perspective, um, at least I'd say probably until the massive economic problems in two thousand and eight, um, it seemed like quite a linear progression. I mean, I could already remember even say by the time I was in year three in school. So bear in mind, I was only eight then. So that's mm. five years. I remember people would sort of be like, oh, yeah, you're like, you know, like in school, some of my people would be like, your dad owns Aspen Waite, mm. like, you know, and almost like treat us like we were like a, you know, like a, like a very wealthy family almost, you know, um, that was the, that was almost like the, the perception I think that people got anyway, yeah. you know, um, so, so, so what was that like? And did it feel like that to you as, you know, did it feel like every year you were making noticeable improvements? Well, obviously, the fact is it's true. So yeah. just yeah. as a fact, and obviously I know you know all about this, so I, I worked out that in the first 10 years, the um, average compound growth was 20.8%. Wow. Which is quite impressive. Yeah, very impressive, uh, I'd say. So that basically, for those of you who aren't very good at maths, so that, means, <laughs> that means basically 100 becomes 121, then the next year 121 becomes 146, mm-hmm. 146 becomes 175, which I'm showing off now, <laughs> uh, 175 becomes 210. Uh-huh. Right, so actually, after you'll see there, we've doubled after four years mm-hmm. on a 20% compound. So that's basically the fact. So um, turned over 78 grand in the year after that was 130. Um, just going back to being impressed with myself, and I... <laughs> I have to say I'm laughing because I almost can't believe it. And it's ridiculous because it's myself. 
So somehow or other, and I, 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 I you know, I, I, I'm a very honest person. I could, if I was a different sort of person, I could turn around and say, well, actually, I'm some sort of clever hotshot and I meant to do it, but I, I don't know. I don't think I did, really. Mm-hmm. Somehow or other, through, I think, just being a nice bloke, really, and and I'd never been in a situation before where I was obviously on my own or mm-hmm. I had the time, so I was able to do things that I wanted to do as opposed to what I was told to do. And somehow or other... I managed to build this local network from nothing. So bearing in mind, I'd never worked in Bridgewater. Mm. I didn't have any contacts there. But for instance, I became like super friendly with a company called Perkins Slay Turner, mm. right? Who were a firm of insurance brokers. And in my first year, it's a true story, I made £10,000 profit mm-hmm. from introductions to them. Wow. £10,000. Wow. Now bearing in mind, that's quite a lot of money. You know, if you think yeah, of those yeah. days. Yeah, sure. Probably, yeah. you know, probably be like, 25 grand today, I say, maybe. Yeah, you know? yeah. So collect, and, connecting dots with other local companies that you could... And so one of the things that came with them is they were they were people that enjoyed themselves. As you know, I like to enjoy myself. <laughs> and so, um, and, and of course, because I was pa- pa- patronised by the Aspen Group, who themselves were fairly big movers and shakers in Bridgewater, quite quickly, um, and, you know, you probably have to ask mum this, I would think... Maybe within three or four months, we started going to quite posh balls. Mm-hmm. So mum would be there in her, in her um, what do you call it, frock. Gang. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, no, I'm talking about serious. Yeah, frock, very nice serious ball gang. Gang. And you'd be in your tux. And I'd be in my tux. And that would be something. And I, uh, But because I got like very James friendly, Bond. I got very friendly with the guys from Perkins Slade, for instance. And that would also mean uh, party, going party. to things <laughs> in Bristol with, just with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just on my own. Mm. Uh, and I, I, don't, I can't remember how. I, I, I generally can't remember how this happened. Somehow or other, and it must have come through. I, I, I should know this. Somehow or other, I became very friendly with uh, this crazy guy called Richard Cottrell. Uh, Richard Cottrell was the MEP for Bristol East. He was a TV presenter. He was the main lead on Points West. Mm-hmm. He wrote books about transport. He was a very forward-thinking guy. Mm-hmm. Um don't know why he lived in Barrow Ashton. I don't know where that is. Barrow Ashton, which is um, which is basically um, if you get off the motorway junction Gordano to go mm. towards Clifton and you go down the bottom of the hill, that's where Barrow Ashton is. Oh, yeah. Lived in this lovely house, and uh, I don't know. It's almost like you know he's he's not as deep as this, so probably more because he used me. But for, I I was sort of a bit like the son he didn't have, and so he started. So I, he started. So I ended up acting for pubs in mm. Bristol. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, uh, two or three. So he, I got so like all the people he knew. He turned around and said, "Oh, I, got, I know this bloke, Waity. He's fantastic." Mm. And mm. Um, quite a lot of word of mouth then. Connections. And are I remember so acting I? for picking up quite quickly a business called Hackett's in Bristol, mm. which was, I think, was a seven grand fee. Mm. So bearing in mind what I was turning over, mm. um, but the high point, you know, talking about um, things, you know, changing. So. I think it was within 15 months, maybe, or 15 months of starting up Aspen Way, uh, Cottrell said to me one day, uh, I've got an assignment for you in Sofia, Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got these people want to buy a chain of laundrettes in Bulgaria. Wow. <laughs> and I've it's told random. them you're the man. Mm-hmm. So I flew to Vol- Sofia on my own. <laughs> uh, one of the best... Well, I could write a book about this. I cannot. I went to Bulgaria with no expectations. Couldn't speak Bulgarian, um, but bizarrely, 
uh, I was very fortunate. I took a lot of trouble in what, what university I went to. I went to Cardiff University, took a degree in uh, economics, and um, I took a subject in, in my economics degree, which I never thought I'd use, and it was, it was called Methods of Financial Management, which included international accountancy. And one of the things that came out of that is I happened to know that Bulgaria didn't use what's called double-entry bookkeeping. Right. So I'm probably the only person almost in the world who would have known that Bulgaria didn't have a double-entry bookkeeping system. So right? funny, isn't it? Uh, I turned up in Sofia. None of the people there could speak English, right? So I spent a whole week there, and I was drunk half of the time. Right? <laughs> True story. Uh, so basically, uh, and these people are like, I remember the first day, I'm in this the group, the group headquarters, and this guy, this Bulgarian guy walked in with this cup, mm. and he gets a bottle of bells, and he pulls it up, mm. sits down. You me drink. <laughs> you me drink. I bet you didn't uh, mind that at all. <laughs> I can remember. I can remember the first two nights <laughs> going back to my hotel and having to sleep <laughs> till seven, and then they picked me up and then we'd start again. Oh and man! It was an amazing experience because they had they were qualified for the World Cup, mm. so the World Cup was on, and they 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 achieved their highest ever position in history. I think mm. we got to the semi-finals, and I watched the quarterfinal and the last 16 game live with all these people mm -hmm. and it was wonderful because mm -hmm. they were all so wow. happy because they won what an experience yeah? mm. and I was sat there with these people drinking uh, and I remember the thing that uh, uh, the food just blew me away I didn't expect Bulgarian food. it was just really nice but the thing I would never forget about Bulgaria was olive oil on their chips and cheesy chips they liked olive oil and cheesy chips interesting very good and, and so I had nice. this wonderful anyway reason the reason sorry sorry listeners for going on about that but it was a really good story uh, so um, so the only thing I can actually claim so within a month of me coming back from Sofia so it is true to say that I have been to Central and Eastern Europe nothing more than that mm -hmm. I hope no one from First Group's listening to this because I'll probably get into trouble uh, Richard Cottrell told the chairman of First Group who he knew very well that they should expand into Central and Eastern Europe mm -hmm. And that his best mate was an expert accountant in Central and Eastern Europe. <laughs> mm. So, oh, Cottrell says to me, right, you've got to go to First Group's board meeting next week mm. and do a presentation on finance in Central and Eastern Europe. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the only person I know who would have taken that on, right? Now, fortunately, there used to be, um, uh, I, can't remember, I think it was called Business Link or something, there used to be a government institution that, um, and it was just down the road in, in West Quay. And they, they the people there had just come back from Poland. And, and there'd been a big trade delegation. And I was a very resourceful guy. I think it was desperation. And I went in and I managed to speak to the guy. And I said, look, uh, I've got this big opportunity to act for this big quoted company. But I've never been anywhere, really. Mm -hmm. And so he told me all about his things. He gave me all his business cards. <laughs> all the business cards he had in Central Europe and basically so I went along so I went along to First Group and I basically said yeah I know a lot about this da, 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 and they liked it <laughs> and so um, at the end of the meeting they said you like that um, we'll start you off on an invoice basis so I think for a month I used to invoice them um, just, this is a quote the largest transport company in the, and I'm just basically just started us away right mm. which is quite an amazing <laughs> story really and then I think it was no more than six weeks after that presentation, the managing director of First Bus Transit Development, so I'm still friendly with today, James Freeman. Love you, James. Um, 
James, I used to call him Grin, the Grisby Grinner. That's my name <laughs> for him, right? The Grimsby Grinner. <laughs> so James asked to come and see me, and we stood in the car park of Aspen House, and he said, you come from Bridgewater. We all thought it was a bit of a joke. Mm. He said, mm. we had a bit of a laugh about it, but actually, you were really good. <laughs> I put you on an invoice because we, we sat there thinking, well, that's, that's, but actually, um, we, don't, we don't want that happening. We want, want you to go on to a retainer. Okay. So he says, we'll give you four grand a month. And again, it's remarkable, you know. How, uh, and I said, no, that's not enough. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's enough. Nice. Yeah. And I said, five grand's enough. Yeah. So basically, uh, I got um, a 12-month contract with First Group. And the deal was that I had to do, I think it was, it was either nine or 11 days. If they wanted me to, for that £5,000, whatever it was, I had to work up to 11 days. Um, but if I did no days, I still got five thousand pounds. Wow. So I remember the December, for instance, I only did two days in mm. the whole of December, but I still got five thousand pounds. Mm. And if I did more than eleven days, I got four hundred and fifty pounds. Nice. Plus full expenses. Mm. So what, for each extra day. Well, so every time I went anywhere. So mm. in that year, next year, I went to Poland seventeen times. <laughs> and it was all paid. Well, yeah, I went to Poland seventeen times. Wow. I as well as uh, and just, just sort of You've got the vodka bottles to prove it, haven't you, at um, <laughs> yeah, Rubis House? Can I just ask, did you have any other employees at that time, or was it still just you? Probably four people, maybe. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so other work, that other, other accountancy things, it didn't, you didn't have to concentrate all on first group at that time. You yeah, so probably see. the accountancy business was twice the size, mm. maybe, mm-hmm. plus first group. Mm. I do remember thinking that when the first group came to end, I remember walking through the snow of Walsall, thinking my life was going to end. Um that's another story but actually the year after the year <laughs> after uh the first group contract ended i turned over 20 percent more than the, the year before which included first group wow uh, which was interesting anyway um well, yeah so just just i don't think it's blowing my own trip so i started off as financial consultant europe that's what i was paid to do and unfortunately my my compatriot um was a very naughty boy and liked women too much and drinking, and um, I could I could write a really good book about that. Man <laughs> was prodigious. I have great respect for how someone as old and drunk as him could make love to so many beautiful women. <laughs> it's, it's, it's beyond me, but nonetheless, he managed to do that. Uh, after after a few months of um, going to Poland all the time, um, my friend basically lost sight of who the customer was. I can be careful what I say. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, expected me to help him with his plotting, uh, and I wouldn't. And one of the things that was really nice, which helped me immensely after that, is when my contract ended, the first group wrote me the most wonderful testimonial, and they said that I was the most professional and loyal person I'd ever seen under the circumstances I was put in. Mm. Because I because I basically took their I didn't join in the plotting you know what I mean I, mm. and I, and my reward for that was I was asked to go to First Group Towers and they basically said well the king's just committed Harry Kiri we'd like you to be the king <laughs> so I became managing consultant mm. of First Group Europe true story wow nice that's a little sad story though um, the guy who was the king my friend uh, got sacked on the same day. Mm-hmm. And he drove all the way down to Bridgewater without telling me, and he walked in my office, burst into my office, and he went, you knew! He pointed at me, and he said, you knew! And then he shouted at me for about 10 minutes. And then I bet that was quite hard. I got him thrown out. 
Security! Half of him. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you didn't reckon all this on a Sunday morning. <laughs> no, no, it's nitty gritty. And this is the this is the Bud Light version as well, because obviously I know that there's some um, there are some um, other crazy tales as well that would probably be better for a Pandora's box or something. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll leave that there as chapter three. We'll come back soon with chapter four, everybody. And we are listening to the story of Aspenweight. It's the thirtieth anniversary of Aspenweight on the thirteenth. So celebrate with us. And we're listening to the story from the man himself, Paul Waite, who started the company 30 years ago. Good morning, everybody. We are now on chapter four of the story of Aspen Waite, told by Paul Waite himself, of course, the founder of Aspen Waite, 30 years ago. Celebrate with us and listen to the fascinating tale. So we've just been hearing all about First Group, your exciting exploits in Poland and <laughs> Bulgaria, um, all of this crazy stuff. And I've been to the Bahamas, of course, which was a highlight of my life, but we'll get this for another day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, to this day, in Rubis House, which is another office of ours in, in, in Bridgewater, there's loads of empty, really nice vodka bottles, aren't there, from your time in Poland? Well, they're wonderful bottles, aren't they? Oh, absolutely yeah. fantastic. But they're really, really unique. Yeah, really unique. Like some, some like you wouldn't see in the shops nowadays. Mm. It's like really nice. You know, the Poles obviously know their vodka. <laughs> but um, let's sort of try and move things along because obviously we haven't got unlimited time. Dobre, dobre. Yeah, what's that again? Good. Good, good, good. Dobre, dobre, good, good. Dobre din means good day. That's all you need to say, basically. So when they pass you vodka, you can just go dobre, dobre. That's all you need to know in Poland. Um, <laughs> so yeah, in in 1998, so we were we were living as a family. We were living in Rubus House, which is um, which is a listed building, isn't it? Down Fryan Fryan Street, yeah, Grade Two listed building in Fryan Street in Bridgewater. Um, obviously, you'd owned the house um, by by 1998, and we we moved house, didn't we, to a village nearby. Um, so you made the decision, I guess, apart from anything else, you owned the building and it stopped your rent costs. Was that the main motivator? No, no, no. no? no. You, you, obviously, you missed this story. Okay. I'll be very careful what I say now because um, life has joined up. This is, this is, again, a fascinating story, this. So um, my chums at the Aspen Group, who is no doubt, you know, uh, that without them, Aspen weight wouldn't have been possible, I don't think. And, and, of course, one of the things that happened is because I was in this beautiful building, that when people like when people from first group turned up, they just saw a wonderful corporate building. We didn't see little Paul on his own, mm-hmm. so I was able to be as small or as big as I wanted to be. So I know I'll always be grateful to them, mm-hmm. and and effectively they. I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say because obviously one of them is nearly a friend of mine again now. The what the guy who <laughs> most most who most was horrible to me, mm-hmm. um, uh, a guy called Martin who leave there for now. Uh, he walked in my room one day and he said familiarity breeds contempt yeah i remember you told me that yeah. that's what he told me mm. horrible thing to say to somebody yeah and he just said i know the way you were i don't like it whatever and and then they sacked me mm. it's no nice way of dressing up mm. so um so it wasn't it, it wasn't really a case of anything. Was, right okay it was um all right and running, running concurrently to that um, again, another very sad story, and I'm actually going to name him because he should be ashamed of himself. So, um, <laughs> a guy I went to school with, um, who I was very friendly with, called Nigel Dennis, um, who was an estate agent, and his father was an estate agent as well. And his father was a nice chap, actually. Um, his father was Scottish, but Nigel, so was a Scottish family, but Nigel yes, was very English. Sure. Yeah. And um, you know the people next door, the crazy people. Yes. Um, yeah. So the guy that owns that is a guy called Bettins. Down Fryan Street. Sorry. Yeah. So basically, um, my friend. Mm-hmm. Right, who I who I, who I thought I trusted basically said to me, "Your house is now almost unsaleable." Right, right, right. It's almost unsaleable. Um, it's only worth seventy grand, I think it was. But I can get you seventy grand. 
because Mr. Blah Blah will pay you 70 grand. Mm-hmm. So, so he, he would just wanted to get a little deal, like, yeah, what, so it was worth a lot more that, really. I told him exactly what I thought of him, mm. which wasn't nice. Yeah. I said, you scummy little... Swore at him a lot. Yeah. And I said, this is the thing, I said, I'd rather die... <laughs> I said, I said, I'd rather die than uh, give in to your scummy little deal. Mm-hmm. That's what I said. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I remember reading my letter, and I said that... So I basically decided, as I sat down and I thought about this, and I thought, I'm in this sort of situation now, where these people want me to go. Uh, the, peop- the person, the estate agent I, I wanted to trust has basically tried to stitch me up. Mm-hmm. So, because I'm very logical. So by default, it seems to me the only the only way was to turn Ruby's house into my office. Sure, sure. Right. Seem, it seemed quite a logical thing to do. Now, it's interesting, picking up on one of Drew's questions earlier, or, or points, is I have to say, within days of doing that, I sat there thinking, why hadn't I done this before? Right. Because I basically had my own office and... Um, own the building, obviously. Massive difference. The cost... So I, was, I can't remember what the mortgage was. Say it was £930, wasn't it? Mm. So I was in a big Queen Anne building for mm-hmm. £930, and I had my own house as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's just... I mean, I, I, yeah, so that was... that was So that's why that's why we moved. Mm-hmm. Right, it was, okay. It was, okay. it was a bit like how Aspermite started. Mm. It was the theme of my life. It was pride. Yeah, It's sure. like, no... No, I'm not going to let you bully me, you mm. absolute tear. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And I'm going to do this instead. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. Mm-hmm. It turned out to be a very good decision, obviously. Of course, yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, so that's so that's great. So, so that so you moved head HQ Aston Way HQ to to Fryan Street from Aspen Court sorry. back. In, oh, sorry, mate. Back in ninety eight. Um, <laughs> um, not, not for the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not for the last. <laughs> Any more sort of like noticeable things? you want to say sort of to bring us up to the millennium any sort of employees you want to give a particular shout out to no, i think the, the, i was just thinking about this i mean the the, the, the only i think it was you know people like human stories don't they mm-hmm. so there was a guy that used to work for me um in my previous practice called jason channon mm. and um so for those of you listening who want uh, a less good accountant but a nice one um <laughs> he's he's got his own firm called oldwin channon in burnham on sea and um jason um, was so upset about me leaving the previous practice, he basically couldn't cope with it, and mm. so he came to work for me. Um, and I, I think I, I, I hope I've told him this, but if he, if he, if I'll, I'll say it live in front of other people, because he, uh, is it really sad? Because if Jason, if if this situation had been as it is now, with me as I am today, the problem wouldn't have happened. With Jason as your employee now, yeah. yeah. With yeah. me as I see things as today, you are now, as yeah. the different pool. At the time, uh, you know, bearing in mind, I'd worked for two of the biggest three companies in the world, and mm-hmm. and you'll find now people say to me, "When are you going to turn up?" And I say, "27 minutes past three, don't I?" Mm-hmm. And, and I say, "Well, we're not 20 Precise. past three. And I say, "Because." Because I'm turning up at 27 minutes. 27, 27. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, I can't understand why I'm being asked the question. Do yeah, I? yeah. You know that? That's what I'm turning up. You know, I've been trained to account for every second of every day. Mm-hmm. So, Jason, right, was like having almost like a third son. And, I, yeah. and, and you loved him as well, actually. Yeah, I really liked fair, him. Really liked him. Right? And he was, he was liked by all the clients. He lived he was, with us, didn't he? He was pretty good. Yeah, he lived, he he lived, lived with us. He lived yeah. with us, yeah. Um, and then it was really. Uh, uh, Every day, when we were actually in the office, he was late every day. 
mm-hmm. every single day, mm-hmm. day in, day out. But the thing that used to get me is when we used to go to Fords, for instance, or, and he used to go on there and he, he, he developed a, a very good relationship of his own, mm-hmm. particularly with a guy called Jay Martin, who still runs Fords today. He would, so bearing in mind that it takes an hour and a half at least to get to Ringwood, mm. he would get to Ringwood, say, for 9.30, mm. right? Which, which would mean he's very capable of leaving his house at 8. Yeah, sure, sure. But he'd, yeah. he'd get to my bloody office at 10 past 9 every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just... They used to wind you up at the time. Wang me up more <laughs> and more and more and more and more, like a coiled spring, and I used to start shouting at him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it got to a point one day, and I just said to him, I can't put up with this anymore yeah you know i just can't put up with you walking at 10 past nine mm-hmm. because whenever i used to have a go at him he was very good at defending himself which you remember he's very articulate yeah he used great to come job. in with all these statistics about <laughs> about how brilliant he was and i remember saying i don't care yeah 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 because there's something in here that just won't go away i cannot cope. it was just bothering you so much at mm. the time just that technicality yeah, and i'm, of I'm just sad being... about that to be honest mm. you know because because um, i guess today in in the 90s it was a different working environment to today obviously it's a lot more flexible working nowadays yeah. people have entire livings nowadays working from home things like that mm. much more flexible working hours so you i think f- it is a bit of a respect thing as well though if you do say a time to someone um, like and it's an agreed time mm, mm. then you know even if it's agreed flexible working that's cool but if there's an agreed time of like 9am is the time mm. and then and then that's not met like that annoys me as well mm. it's like I, I quite like you know if you yeah if you've got the thing that okay it's flexible and stuff then all cool but like if there is an agreed time be there for the agreed time because that's like a respect thing for the other person so I can imagine that might have been playing into why it was annoying you a little bit because like you're being a little bit disrespected by someone being late all the time. Yeah, I guess, you know, just doing the, 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 the journey very quickly. So what happened very, very fast is, is so taking forwards again, who, you know, were like building blocks. So, uh, you know, I had very small fees, but forwards, I probably billed forwards £8,000 in my first year, I would think, and they mm-hmm. had subsidiaries. So happened, this is, you know, thank you, thank you, Lord. Um, and obviously this game, I, I, I can remember that this, at the time, it wasn't fun because... Uh, they had their worst ever trading year mm-hmm. ever uh, in the year that I started. Mm. So that my, by far my biggest client, and obviously if they'd gone pop, that would have Ouch. been 20% of my turnover gone, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and all the potential that came with that. But on the good side, I I, I was able to see them as often as I wanted. So mm. I probably, I don't know, I probably, I probably saw them 10 times more in the first year than I had in the two years before. Mm. So I was able to help them get out of the hole. Mm. So what do you think happened as a result of that? They loved me. Mm-hmm. And then I started getting referrals. So, for instance, um, notable people. I got referred to a guy called Keith Larner, who um, who owns a, a group called Trucks Group. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, sizable business. I don't know what trucks were turning over today. Part of Raymond Brand Group, uh, tens of millions of pounds. And as you know, because you know him, um, as a result of... Keith, on the 25th of January, 1995, I met Terry Higgins. Yes. Big, big, uh, notable landmark in Aspen Weights development. Yes, and that's, so that's not even two years mm. after I started. Um, you know, and you know, Terry Higgins is a very serious, credible mm-hmm. person. And uh, I formed TJ Transport for him, uh, and it's now turning over 50 million. Mm. Wow. So, um, yeah, that's... But the thing is, so what happened is, is that I started to pick up a significant amount of business to the east. Yeah. Everything I picked up was to the east. Hmm. So I've got more and more and more clients 
between Ringwood and Chichester, I'd say, was my hotspot. Mm-hmm. Nice. Wow. Cool, cool. Should we leave, we'll leave uh, Chapter 4 there, and we'll come back with, with Chapter 5, which I believe, because of your time constraints, will have to be the last chapter, so the last 15 minutes, um, where we can bring things up to current day. Any more notable landmarks in the history of Aspen Wade? Any more employees you want to mention? Any crazy stories? You're listening <laughs> to the, the story of Aspen Wade, obviously on Aspen Wade Radio. It's the 30th anniversary of Aspen Wade on the 13th of August. Celebrate with us, people. Um, yeah, so this is, uh, we've, we've had four chapters so far. Um, the start of Aspen Wait, your emotions, thank, you know, thank, founding the company, founding <laughs> the company back in 1993. Um, so we've sort of um, come up to the time of you, you know, we're past the millennium now. Um, you've moved offices to, to Rubis House. You've, you've uh, met and become good friends um, and business um, well, partners, I, 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 not not technically partners, but with Terry Higgins mm-hmm. of um, TJ Transport. Um, so this is the fifth and final chapter. So you've got 15 minutes Ooh. to bring us up to current day. So anything you want to say, any notable things over the years? Yeah, of course. Employees? Well, one, one, obvious, one obvious standout. So uh, in, I don't know, 2000 maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe 99, I'm not sure. I, I, I ought to know really. Uh, my bank manager, David Orlington, who I told you, and and, and those, that was back in the day when banks were banks. And the thing that I can say to you is that David Orlington would have died for me. Mm-hmm. You know, he he would he would go to his head office, head office and um, fight fight, fight for me. You know, nice. Anyway, so um, there was a Ford dealership in Western Supermare called Passy and Porter, which was equivalent White Brothers, yeah. Mm-hmm which was um, owned by Mark Lovell. Uh, Mark Lovell was, at the time, UK rally champion, uh, quite a famous person. And um, I, David, my, the bank manager, said to me one day, uh, I'm going to introduce you to a guy called Mark Lovell. Mm. Um, it's a bit late because he's already, he wants to change accountants, mm-hmm. and he's already interviewed five, but... I, I just I didn't know that he wanted to change accountants, but I managed to get a word in. He was whatever, and I said, he said um, I told Mark that all the other accountants would be like each other, but mm-hmm. you would be completely different. Yeah, 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 that's for sure. Right? <laughs> he said, yeah, he said, and he said, you know, one thing I promise you is that Paul will be different to all the others. So Mark very kindly agreed to have six, the, the sixth interview with me. And um, I'm smiling because I'll never forget this because um, it's obviously you know part of rich part of my life. I walked into his office, and he was sat behind his desk. And I looked up at this big um, blown up photograph he had of him in a car, and I said, "Is that, is that Pete Davis in the car with you?" <laughs> and he went, "Yeah." <clears throat> I had no way. And he said, "How do you know Pete Davis?" I said. Classic Eurosport, Pete Davis. So Pete Davis was a big friend of Tim Porter. Right. That I was telling you about. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, yeah. So Tim Porter um, used to be into classical rallying himself. They used to do a thing called a classical rally all around Europe mm-hmm. um, in, in classic cars. And so I became the accountant for classic Eurosport. Wow. Which was owned by Pete That's Davis. That's quite a cool thing to be an accountant for, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, Pete Davis um, was a real character. And Pete Davis was... Um, often the co-driver with Mark Lovell. Wow! And it was just—it was just like sometimes you just Fated. think, and you could see he went from because Mark Lovell was a formidable person. I mean, we're serious. Like if he was unhappy, it was like 
as bad a person to be unhappy with. Mm-hmm. He's very intense. Mm-hmm. You know, big, big guy. You know, you don't, you don't get to be world rally champion for no reason, you know? Yeah, of course. Tenacious. Um, and, um, you know, he, he, he probably he probably didn't want to see me anyway, to be honest, you know? The bank manager had said to so me, he probably thought, yeah, whatever. Walk in, and, like, within two minutes, I thought, I got this. Nice, <laughs> nice. He just completely changed. What do you think like, it was about you that he took to you so much? Well, obviously, um, it, 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 what what I think people just it's just it's just human nature. So um, just clicked. Oh, we had what what people like is so. For instance, if, if if I walked into a bar and there was a guy there, and you said um, which rugby team do you support, and they said Bath, mm-hmm. that's yeah. good, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so yeah, straight yeah. away, yeah, you've, yeah. You're, you're, you've built a connection. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're going to end up talking to that person, of course. And then if they start saying the same sort of things as you, and you go, well, you, useless, yeah, something, you're, you're, and, you're, you, and off you, you go. You and feel like you're part of the same tribe, yeah. You know, so yeah. it was just, it just, it just got rid of all the. It was very similar with John Joe O'Neill, you know, which yeah. obviously is, is is something we, we probably, if we have time to talk about, jockey, it, yeah, because um, you know, to, to meet one of your heroes. But um, anyway, it, 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 and, and it was quite funny because Mark said to me, I remember this. He said to me, "I've got this." Basically, he was he was really really odd bloke but very very intelligent the only genius i've ever worked for i think and he basically said um i'm i'm going to create this global shipping motor logistics sort of you know everything motor mm-hmm. shipping shipping cars company um he was with a firm of accountants that were 10 times bigger than me mm-hmm. this is the funny thing about this mm-hmm. and do you know what they said to him what it was too complex <laughs> too complex and risky didn't want to do it right so i said what's wrong with these people this is it exciting mm. you know so we formed a company called you you auto trade logistics and another company called auto trade mm-hmm. um and we went on to have mca car auctions um sva group mm-hmm. uh, just to name a few and um He was. He was just. It just. It, 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 you know. It, it, I often wonder what would happen if he was still alive. It, it, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting one. Um, funny enough, I was talking about him in the meeting this morning. So one of the greatest. You know, I'm very, very proud to act for George Farwell, for instance. Like mm-hmm. amazingly proud that mm-hmm. a man like him would think what he does of me. Yeah. Uh, for for someone like Mark Lovell to to call me Maximus after Maximus Decimus Meridius, yeah, is. It's an honour beyond honour, you know. Yeah. I mean, if you saw how he trained, how yeah, you know, for, for him to think that I had the qualities of Maximus, so yeah, for for an, for such an alpha male to recognise you, to call you obviously Maximus, who is such a such an alpha, obviously in Gladiator, he's giving you that title. It's like a show of respect yeah. to you, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he always uh, all the names he could have called you. Yeah. So you know, he always used to call me Maximus, and um, and what happened very quickly is he became very dependent on me. Mm. So, you know, it went very well. And uh, what would happen is, is I mean, I was laughing because it was just so crazy working for him. I, you know, just the mobile phone thing had just started. I'd be, I don't know, anywhere. I might even not be in my office. And the phone would go and it would be Mark. They'd go, hello, Maximus. I'm just on the motorway. I'll be down in 15 minutes. Mm. Right? Just assuming you'd be there. You know, like crazy, you know. And then you know, and he'd walk in and he'd say, "Right, we're going to go and buy blah or whatever, or we're going to do this, <laughs> right?" And he'd tell me all about it, and then he'd walk out, mm. right? He he didn't he he didn't want anything to do with it. I was expected to do it, 
And it was, it was wonderful to be trusted like that. Mm-hmm. So I was like his enabler. Mm-hmm. So he had all the ideas and he'd say, well, yeah. Right, and, and I'd go, go off and do okay. it. Yeah, so yeah, I'd go yeah. and buy the company, go and yeah. see the people who nice. uh, yeah, yeah. set up the company and so-and-so. You know, and that's how I got to go to Bangkok. So I also set up a company in Bangkok with Dean Robinson, who's now one of my best friends, as you know. Yeah, yeah. You um, love you love Bangkok, don't you? Oh, I love Dean Robinson. He's, yeah, yeah. If, if, if I could have a drink with any man in the world in my last yeah. drink, I'd have it with him. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. sorry, JP, for saying that. But yeah, I feel yeah. a bit disloyal saying that, but it's true. Sure, yeah. It's sure. just um, drinking with Dean is just, I can't tell you, it's just <laughs> so rich and yeah. it's just so clever you've still naughty. got your Bangkok Lions uh, polo top naughty you? clever brilliant mm. funny you know mm. human maybe lovely family um, never never met three boys I'd like to be my own as much as his nice no, mm. absolutely wonderful children and um, very sad story so I think we got to about fifth, one five twenty million maybe um, saddest moment of my life I think probably if I'm being honest I remember standing at a petrol pump. And this was like really early. I don't know why I got up so early. Mm. There used to be a petrol station in my home village. And um, I turned my phone on and there was a voicemail from someone in America. And I listened to it and it said, some terrible news, weighty. Mark's just been killed like literally 15 minutes ago. Yeah. Um, broke his neck after 78 seconds and I fell on the floor. I don't mind admitting this. I remember I- the morning... Because I remember, obviously, you didn't tell me. Um, I mean, I guess partly you were so emotionally shocked yourself. And also, I guess mm. it's a complicated thing to tell your young son, because I was still obviously quite a young boy at the time. Um, but I remember thinking, like, what's, what, what's up with Dad this morning? Because I remember, obviously, we used to be at the first ones up, didn't we? So I remember I came down, and it was just me and you in the living room. And I remember you just obviously seemed, like, really off all well, morning. I sat in the garden all day on my own. And then, oh. I, and then I remember, like, obviously, like... Um, I think you know, I can't remember if you went off to the gym or something like that. But then I remember Mum coming down, being like, you know, um, being like, Dad's being really weird. My mum was like, you need to, like just be easy on your dad today because his his friend Mark Lovell's died. And I was like, what? She was like, yeah, like his one of his closest friends has died today, Cam. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like, you're like, okay. It's like, really crazy thing about grief. So I collapsed on the floor and I walked into the petrol station. And I was so I'm like, my friend's died. And then to this woman. Yeah, my yeah. friend's just died. It's oh, weird it's how like, when you're that emotional, you know? like you do something impulsive like mm. that. Like that woman is so like nothing to do with your life, but in that moment you were so shocked. You're just the first person you saw. You're like, my friend's died. Anyway, like, anyway, so um, you know, about boring everyone to death. So no, it's not boring at um, all. He drove. He drove into a tree, didn't he? Accidentally. Yeah, it was, it was code, it's, it's a very sad story. So he, his normal co-driver, Steve Turvey, who is is, is a long term tur- turbo, right? isn't it? Turbo, yeah. yeah. Um, he couldn't go, and so a guy called Roger Freeman was the co-driver and said Roger Freeman was also a client of mine who ran the Liverpool trading company did he make it company. by the way they both died they both the died time. right sorry and Roger Freeman basically went left 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 when he should have said right 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 oh. um, so they went into the tree at 90 miles an hour backwards oh. and I've seen that I saw it I've seen the seaman being killed I've watched I've only three people I think so did it. it spin and then you say went into the tree backwards yeah so they obviously clipped something span bang and then yeah. broke their neck immediately immediately um Anyway, so um, him and his wife didn't, and I didn't get on very well. Or she didn't like me for whatever reason. At the funeral, she walked over to me and she said, um, you and I have got to be together now. Is that all right? And I said, of course, Julia. And it was quite funny. So went from being someone I didn't like at all to suddenly being like, her Sir Lancelot or something. Well, it's funny, isn't it? I you think know? I think in that moment maybe mm. there's yeah. a, there was a there was almost like a, maybe a reason for there to be contention between the two of you when uh, Mark was alive. But when he was lost, you instantly had suddenly a massive thing in common. 
which was your grief and your and your love of Mark. So suddenly, no, I think it's more she wanted wanted a company to survive. Well, yeah, no, 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 no but I'm sure I'm <laughs> that I, would have I, helped I'm sure, for yeah, sure, yeah, of course. Yeah. But I think on a deeper level, think, do you think I can th- I can think of people that not necessarily I wouldn't necessarily be friends with, not because I dislike them, but I wouldn't necessarily be friends with them if it wasn't for a certain person. But then if that person that we have in common died, we would have a kinship because mm. we would both mm. share our our loss anyway, to that person. But so she on. so she bas- so I basically ended up going from her being one of my least favourite person to um, actually spending a lot of time with her, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually think, I, should, no, no, I shouldn't say, no, I'm not going to say what I was going to say, uh, but you can probably guess. Um, <laughs> so yourself, anyway, sir. so um, effectively what happened, is, and I don't know whether this was a clever thing or, 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 or a foolish thing. So out of loyalty, I basically ended up running the Lovell Group mm-hmm. and spent, Fifty percent, at least, of all my time, just running the level group, including staying in Southampton two nights a week, and it had grown uh, to a I big old a, beast by then. Well, mm. it's a, a huge, huge achievement of mine, to be fair. And there's pictures of me with awards, um, and uh, so of course, I was going to say now. Um, so um, we ended up getting to 110 million turnover. Wow! From where we started. Um, and it, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was a considerable achievement. And then, to some extent, the history book on the shelf repeated itself because she then did what the previous senior partner did. Oh. Um, and that, it's very sad because obviously, what should have been my finest hour was ended up being tinged. Yes, yeah, just basically decided to get rid of everybody that, and I was the last one to go, so I was quite fortunate, really. Mm-hmm. But it was a terrible, it was a slow death. Mm. Yeah, yeah, as well, sure. very slow death. Sure, sure. Knowing that you yeah. dedicated so much of your time. Yeah, the only good thing it. about it is obviously I've now got this lifelong friend, Dean Robinson, who now lives in Brisbane, mm-hmm. um, who who I was the chairman of the Thai company that he mm. he ran. Didn't didn't Dean have a cat that got eaten by a crocodile in Asia? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, just I know it's a bit of a random story, but I just I just his house crazy. was amazing. It was on stilts over the River Mekong, or whatever. Whoa. and it was no, it wasn't a t- crocodile. It was something else. You sure? I could have Thank sworn you. you told me it was a croc. Maybe. Like a caiman or... Yeah, something like that, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, basically yeah. Basically, it's a crocodilian. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so... Uh, yeah, we, we, we've got so much left to talk about. We haven't finished, have we? Um, so anyway, so I left the level group, had to rebuild all over again. And probably the most important thing in terms of bringing us to a conclusion today, which is why Aspen Weight Radio exists. Um, one thing I would like to say on a deep level is, and, and I don't care how crazy people think I am, I can remember going to the gym. I don't know how long it was after he died, and he was on the machine next to me. Wow. No doubt about it. I don't know. No, I don't, I, you I just don't, felt not, his presence. I'm not ashamed to say that. Yes. Yeah. It's true. I used to. Funny enough, it was always in the gym mm. that I felt him. Um, the only other time was, and again, you know, people, I, I don't know whether people think I'm nuts or it's sweet or something. I was in my car. Uh, nine years ago, maybe, and I was at the traffic lights, and I had this almost like this spiritual moment. Like you can imagine, you know, like they say, like Moses, God spoke to him. Yeah, you had it was a, almost like that. Almost like a spiritual. Like someone's in there telling me what to do. Yeah, you know, and and, and it was as deep as that. Mm. And um, basically, it was you've got to stop just being an accountant, and you've got to form as professional services. Mm-hmm. organization and and, that's, and so i did mm. 
And so completely rebranded, dropped the charts of the accountant thing and became what we are today. And that's effectively what I tried to do was to create a diverse group of company services um, that the way I look at it is trust is hard earned. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of bad people around. So if you can sell multiple services to one person, you're doing them a favour. Yeah, so it's a one-stop shop, essentially, isn't it? So if anybody listening does want, you know, whether it's marketing, accounts, you know, tax, even an advert on the radio, anything, you know, get in contact with us for Mike. Yeah, so, yeah, so that's so you know, so we, it, it, it turned out to be very successful. The company had a, you know, more than a renaissance and grew very quickly to the point where we became a top 100 firm, which I never expected, and I... Mm. Probably, I don't know if it, I don't know if it was the most emotional day of my life. I, 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 I didn't even know it had happened, and I, I was sat in my office in Ruby's house, and I don't know. I saw something maybe in a advert or something on mm. the computer about the top fifty accountants just coming out, and so I, I just clicked on uh, the thing to see if it was there, and lo and behold, ninety seven Aspen Wake new entry. Yeah. Mm. And the next year, you were 70-something, right. weren't you? Yeah. And I threw, so I stood up, and I shut the door, and I cried. Mm. Man, so I, don't mind, I, don't, yeah. I don't mind admitting that. I mean, yeah. and, and then I sat down, and all the 20 years of grief and of everything struggle. came back, and sitting there thinking, I wish little Paulie on the 13th of August mm. knew this was going to happen. Do you know what does made me think of? You're gonna uh, laugh. I hate, I hate to think. You know at the end of Carl Conan the Barbarian, <laughs> when Conan's like, Crump, when he's speaking to Crumb, he's like, twenty years of pitiless cumber. Grant me this wish. Grant me revenge." And then he obviously achieves his revenge. And that was there like you, you. That was like you, man. That was like you and Conan and Crom. Except for rather than the Battle of the Man. Like that. Yeah, yeah that's was, how I'd a, like. That's how I'd like to see it. It's anyway. a very emotional moment. Yeah. And then of course the, the pandemic came along, which um, really, really killed us. You know, there's yeah. no doubt about that. Yeah, of course. So it's what we've been fighting to to um, to, to be reborn. So my next book, I've written three books. My, my next book is called Falling Off the Mountain, So You Thought Being an Entrepreneur Was Exciting, mm-hmm. um, which hopefully is going to have an happy ending. Yeah. So we've got, we're a very different business than we were. We've obviously got this fantastic radio station. We've got a diverse music offering. We've got some interest in some really good stuff like evolution music. Mm-hmm. Um, got, you know, we're hope, we've got a new franchise factor show which mm-hmm. is going really well you've got your show syndicated to total rock for instance mm-hmm. got some really Dark good down, clients yeah. at the moment so um back on the wheel of fortune at the moment cal yes sir yeah, it's not always a good thing it's a bit 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 um scary sometimes yeah. but remember what never, old, never lacking an in interest that old mm-hmm. viking saying a luck call off and save a man if his courage holds mm. i have to say um that was very cathartic mm. especially doing it with you mm. um yeah, say, very very enjoyable. Don't don't um, anyone anybody listening? It, it, it's very it's very unnerving talking to Callum. Why is that? Why is that then? Because <laughs> you've got you know, it's like looking in Callum's eyes. It's like looking into Valhalla Asgard. <laughs> <laughs> so, so really does does me in, freaks me out. To be honest, right? <laughs> I think I'm such a loving guy. <laughs> so so deep in. You know, do, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? Mm. Give me that. So, Oh, sure. deep I'll, realm. Yes. I'll get the Barry White out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Barry White with an edge. So thank yeah. you, Callum. No, thank you, sir. Um, and thank you to everyone that's listening. I hope you've really enjoyed the the story of Aspen Weight and the story, of course, of the usual host of the Aspen Weight Radio Breakfast Show on the weekends, Mr. Paul Weight himself. So it's a really fascinating story. Um, and if you missed the beginning, remember you can listen back 
from the beginning on um, a AspenWitRadio.com or on the AspenWitRadio app. We appreciate all of um, our listeners. 